At that time, the Lord said to me, Cut out for yourself two tablets of stone like the former ones, and come up to me on the mountain, and make an ark of wood for yourself. I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you shattered, and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood, and put out two tablets of stone like the former ones, and went up on the mountain with the two tablets in my hand. He wrote on the tablets, like the former writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly, and the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain, and put the tablets in the ark which I had made. And there they are, as the Lord had commanded me. Now the sons of Israel set out from Beeroth and Jacob to Mosarea. There Aaron died. And there he was buried, and Eliezer, his son, ministered as priest in his place. From there they set out to Gudgoda, and from Gudgoda to Gudgoda, the land of brooks of water. At that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to serve him, and to bless in his name until this day. Therefore Levi does not have a portion or inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God spoke to him. I, moreover, stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights like the first time. And the Lord listened to me that time also. The Lord was not willing to destroy me. And the Lord said to me, Arise, proceed on your journey ahead of the people, that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. So we really kind of continue the story here. God tells Moses, you bring two tablets and see me again on the mountain. This is not, I don't think, just the idea of God replacing those tablets. You know, the others were broken, so he's going to do it again. I think it's more the idea of God forgiving them and reestablishing with them this covenant uh, of which the Ten Commandments are part of the provision. And so Moses receives those tablets and comes back down, and the tablets are put in the ark where they belong, and so God is willing to reestablish this relationship with the people, and then they set out on their journey. And so this is really kind of reviewing that even up to that point. And uh, he mentions also the Levites that were specially chosen by God as his servants, and that the Levites did not get a territorial inheritance. They got an inheritance. But the inheritance they received was the Lord himself. He was their portion. Of course, they got the tithes and so forth to support themselves. Uh, but, but this is basically saying, okay, so this is what happened. You know, there was covenant was reestablished, and they went on. Now, if you think about where we're at in the book of Deuteronomy, he started with that historical section, and then basically he's told us the basic laws and some of the dangers that he saw that could happen when they entered the land. What he's going to do right now is more or less summarize the laws. And then we're going to, in chapter 12, move on to an section where he deals a lot more specifically with details of the laws. So, any comments or questions through verse 11 here? 12 to 22. Now Israel, 
What does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commands and his statutes, which I command you today for your good? Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, and the earth and all that is in it. Yet on the fathers, on your fathers, did not did the Lord have affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all people, as it is this day. So circumcise your heart, and stiffen your neck no longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So show, yourself, show your love for the aliens, for you are aliens in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and cleanse him, and you shall swear by his name. He is your praise, he is your God, who has done these great and awesome things for you, which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, seventy persons in all, and now the Lord your God has made you a numerous of the stars of heaven. 12 and 13 are just a great summary of what God wants from the people. He really gives them five commands here. This is Deuteronomy in a nutshell. To fear the Lord, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep His commandments and His statutes. Those five things is really what it takes to serve God. It's interesting that He begins with fear. Remember Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I mean, the starting point in serving God is that respect for the Lord. We've got to understand who He is and be awed and overwhelmed by His greatness and fear Him. It's interesting that the middle command is to love because love is kind of that central command. It's the supreme command. God wants a relationship with us that involves more than just fear. He wants us to really love Him and be attached to Him, to seek Him with all our heart and soul. Notice how much in all of Deuteronomy, but certainly in this text, He emphasizes the heart and soul. These are never just some sort of facade we put on. You know, it's never just some sort of external mechanical obedience. God wants our heart and our soul committed to Him. This is, that's really what the Lord is asking for. And you think about who the Lord is. He says, you know, the Lord owns the heaven, the highest heaven, the earth, and all that's in it. You know, the Lord is the owner of everything that exists, and yet this great God set His affection on Israel to love them. It's amazing that the God of heaven chose puny Israel. You know, it's amazing that the God of heaven wants a relationship with you and with me. We have nothing to offer God. We are not even ants in this little bitty corner of the universe. I mean, what we know about the solar system almost defies imagination. You think about it. I mean... I believe that, that it's true that there are over a hundred billion stars in our galaxy. And over a hundred billion galaxies that we've been able to detect so far. And God loves us. The God who just 
in Genesis 1.16, when he created the sun and the moon, says, and the stars. <laughs> you know, wow. By just saying a word, he added, you know, a few billion, hundreds, billions, whatever, trillion stars. And, uh, and yet he cares about us. That's what he wants Israel to think about. It's what an amazing thing it is that God set his affection on you. So, verse 16, circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. You know, the idea of the circumcised heart is taking the sin out of our hearts. The, the idea is, is to make the heart pliable and amenable to God's direction. Soft and, and, and moldable. Uh, and, and, and not stiff-necked. I mean, the idea is we're sensitive toward the Lord, we're res- responsive to the Lord, receptive to the Lord. That's the kind of attitude we need to have. Look again at verse 17. Isn't that a great statement? For the Lord your God is the God of God, the Lord of Lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. Just right there. Wow. We, we need to meditate on that. We need to be impressed by that. But then, think about how God's character is such a model for us. Here's this incredibly great God who does not show partiality, doesn't take a bribe, executes justice for the orphan and the widow, shows love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. What do you see in God? Don't you see in God the humility, the love, the tenderness, the compassion... Here's the great God. We can't even begin to have words to describe the greatness of God. And yet, He is so concerned about the least of men. The most vulnerable. The, the, those who have the least to offer. You know, those who are in the most precarious of circumstances, God puts special interest in. That's a good thing. Think about us. You know, Wow. I mean, we sometimes get to thinking we're kind of important because after all, you know, in a very, very, very small pond, we actually have a couple of fish who notice it, notice us. You know, I mean, wow. In, in, in the world context, I don't think there's anybody here who's made a blip in history. Is there anybody of us who's done anything really noteworthy? Tell me there's any significant percentage of people in Asia that know your name or care. You know, the truth is, there's a significant percentage of people in the U.S. that know your name or care. You know? I mean, we're nobodies that God loves. Now, here's the lesson for them. He wants them also. Verse 19, So show your love for the alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. But the idea is we need to imitate God's compassion and concern for the least advantage. That was a constant theme of what God told Israel. If God loved them when they were so puny and nobodies, how should we look at the nobodies? And that's a problem for us. Middle class Americans struggle with our attitude toward undocumented aliens, toward orphans and widows, and toward people who are poor and unfortunate. You know, it's kind of like, well, I made this money, it's mine, and I don't want to share it with anybody. Certainly not anybody that I will think is deserving of it. You know, they don't merit it. I'm not saying that um, 
we ought to hurt somebody with our generosity. There are ways of doing that. But, but the very concept of God being so merciful and compassionate to people like us who don't deserve it and who have nothing to offer should change our heart toward people. We ought to care about people and love people, even the people that are beneath us. And then we kind of turn up our nose at Kind of like, I don't mind. Think about it. I think those are really good lessons for us. They're everywhere in Deuteronomy. You can't teach Deuteronomy, especially from here on out, without seeing God is constantly saying, we have to care about people who we see as beneath us. That is the model of God. It is so wrong for people who have received so much mercy from God to be so hardened toward groups of people that we see as beneath us. Those are things we need to think about. And then he says, You shall fear the Lord your God, and serve Him, and cling to Him, and swear by His name. So it's our commitment to the Lord. He is your praise. He is your God, who's done great and awesome things. Think about all that God has done. And so it's just this whole commitment to God. This is a great summary. Is there anything better in Deuteronomy? Then 12, chapter 10, verses 12 to 22, to just really sum up, especially to sum up the relationship that we ought to have to God, and therefore the relationship we have to others. You know, it's just, it's just a great passage to meditate on, and it's all based upon how we see God. It's all based on our heart and soul. This is not a checklist. This is a change of heart, of life, of character, based upon who God is and what he's done for us. So, just a great passage. Comments and thoughts? Yes? It's interesting that in the character and the nature of God, we see this very same element in Jesus in Philippians where it says, He was God, but He became a servant. It's such a powerful thing. He said, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be an equal God, but made himself of no reputation took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being in common fashion as men, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death. And what a powerful example for us that this character in the nature of Jesus that he was willing to, as Romans 12, Paul said, the condescended or holy. He was God. And he lived with us. And who are we to think that we are any better than any brother or sister? Because, you know, God came and lived and was with us and sacrificed for us. Who would we not sacrifice for? Who would we not give something for if God did that for us? We have no way of making a comparable sacrifice. We could give up everything about us, and the sacrifice we'd make would be so much less than what the Lord has made. It's a great example. We need to meditate more on the love of God, the sacrifice of God, the humility of God in serving us. I think the more we admire God in that, the more it will transform our heart. Yeah, Alex. Uh, verse 18 and verse 19 remind me of what we're told in First Peter chapter 1 where it says, Be holy, fly, and holy. Amen. Other thoughts? Yes? Um, I'm like thinking about you know, loving people that are different than us that it might be harder to show love to. It's, like, it's always easier when you think about how we're not really different from them. Like when you think about it, like my favorite definition of a person is just a forgiven sinner. Like we're all sinners and we're all 
righteous and unholy according to God. So I mean, there's really no difference from the people. And like, you can't sit there and be like, I'm not going to love them. They're different from me. From they're really all the same. Amen. I think very much so. I mean, you know, I was, I'm still slow to learn that. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time in prison, uh, visiting, not residing, but <laughs> during those years, the one thing I learned more than anything, prisoners are people. I don't know why I didn't think that, but I really went in there not thinking that. And wow, they're people. They, some of them had done some really bad things. Some of us have done some really bad things, haven't we? But, but they were people. And, uh, you know, I, there's nobody who's not a person made in the image of God. We may have defaced that image in many ways. All of us have done that. But, wow, we think of the love God had to send his son for the lost. What we should not be willing to do in that same situation. They, um, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus really uh, focuses on like the matters of the heart. And uh, it's just amazing to me. Like I didn't really think uh, before that um, they stressed in uh, the old law that the heart was the problem. But in verse 16 it says, Circumc- Circumcised therefore the foreskin of your heart. So it does really talk about the heart in the old law a lot. So. I mean, Deuteronomy majors in the heart. Jason? Somebody else? Okay, um, chapter 11, verses 1 to 7. 